See Sweet and Sour, powered by Align, the podcast where we talk about the sweet and not-so-sweet sides of leadership. All right, uh, welcome back to See Sweet, See Sweet and Sour. I've, I can't even say the name of my own podcast. See Sweet and Sour. We're here with Kevin Nolan. How are you today, Kevin? Good, great, thank you. About yourself? I am doing amazing. Well, I'm a little bit better now after taking some medication because I am a little stuffy. So uh, if I start saying things, I will probably not tell you, but it'll be interesting for me. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll jump into your bio and then we'll get right into it. Kevin Nolan is the Vice President of Marketing at Sigility, providing the key go-to-market resource for, uh, for the business leading and, and supporting activity related to packaging lead generation, share voice, thought leadership, and expanding brand awareness across, across all healthcare business segments. Kevin has more than 30 years of experience in marketing, corporate communications, and media relations. He had led marketing and communications at global companies such as Hydera uh, and SPI Global, now in Spiral, and many more. Kevin began his career as a highly successful B2B salesperson at Halliburton NSU Environmental Corporation, for whom he sold the largest order in the product line's history. His experience as a salesperson has made him a, tr a trusted advisor for sales team. Kevin, thank you very much for being here. I'm glad to be here. We're going to go right into it because I want to touch on healthcare, which is your probably strong suit, more or less, uh, from, my, from my understanding and our conversations beforehand. What is unique about sales and marketing in healthcare? Well, Philip, one of the, the key things is the target audience is extremely passionate about uh, being in the healthcare industry. They're very passionate about um, access to care and cost to care, uh, cost for care, I should say. And for the most part, uh, being in the healthcare industry, being a healthcare worker in some ways was what they wanted to be when they grew up. And the healthcare audience is very much standards driven, very much accreditations driven. They respect domain expertise, which is something you definitely can't fake. So when they are doing some research on a company that they may want to partner with, one of the first things they look at is the accreditations. You know, do these guys have uh, the right qualifications for us to even talk to them. Thinking about the target audience in this situation, you're selling directly to, you're not selling directly to doctors, correct? You're selling to hospitals in your yeah, situation, right? The administrative people. Yeah, we're, we're selling to health insurance plans. So it could be the head of uh, member calls and provider calls, could be the head of claims, could be the medical director at the health insurance plan. And then we're also selling to hospital systems. So it could be the person who has revenue responsibility there to kind of help the hospital recoup money from health insurance plans for denied claims, um, and also someone who's responsible for patient experience. Okay, so are most of these decision makers, were they former doctors or ones that, okay, so that, so, so you're, you're talking, you are talking to doctors at the end of the day, right? The, yeah. You are talking to MDs, that, that, that's uh, most yeah, of MDs. Yeah, exactly. In fact, the medical directors at health insurance plans are almost universally MDs, someone who has the medical degree and has worked their way up through the ranks at the health insurance plan. Interesting, interesting. And and 
I, I, I gotta ask, have you worked with anything that's not like them? So yeah, yeah in your like career. career. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. I, and I in comparison, how data oriented are they? Is it, is it, is it what I think it is incredibly data oriented? They only care about numbers. They don't care about emotions. Is, is that, is that it? To an extent that's true. Um, they are very much a data-driven audience, and they are also, as I mentioned, very much uh, standards-driven. You have to be certified in so many different areas, or else they just have no reason to talk to you. They don't suffer fools at all. (laughs) (laughs) You know, thinking about it, that's that's, that's a good thing. Like, I prefer them to be like that rather than, than vice versa. We will be back after this short message. 90% of businesses fail. 10% don't. Here's why. Plans fail when you don't have the right systems and software in place. This is why we built Align, a strategic growth management software that allows you to share real-time updates and eliminate miscommunication. Align is an easy-to-use, cloud-based software with features like daily huddles, KPI dashboards, software integrations, and so much more. You can see your company's priorities, critical numbers, goals and tasks while holding everyone accountable. And all this in the palm of your hand with our mobile app. So what are your next steps? It's simple. Learn more about Align by requesting a demo at aligntoday.com. Let us make sure we land you in that 10%. Align, achieve big goals faster. People that don't know, you are a one-person marketing team, which sounds kind of crazy, especially for a like, you know, billion dollar industry or potentially trillion dollar industry, you know, with, with inflation going on. But no, I'm kidding. But, you know, a billion dollar, a billion dollar industry. How does that work exactly? <laughs> when I figure that out, I'll let you know. But I mean, I'm responsible for uh, pipeline development and campaigns and events, uh, thought leadership, a media and analyst relations, a company's public website, its tech stack, and a business development intranet. Because I have been a direct salesperson in my career, that helps tremendously in how I relate to salespeople because I've been there. I know what it's like to walk into a prospect's office and ask for the order. You either walk out with a nice piece of paper or your tail between your legs. It's usually somewhere in there. So that helps tremendously in pipeline development and in helping arm the salespeople with what they need to succeed. I have a real passion for events and for making sure that the company is represented well at these events, that the attendees know that we're going to be there and that we have a great presence, uh, hopefully a speaking slot and then some great follow-up. A follow-up on that question would be, technically you don't have a team, but you are responsible for so many people doing so many things. How are you able to... Because I would think it would be easier to bring in-house, have people that you're direct that are directly reporting to you, don't have any other clients necessarily, right? They, well, they shouldn't because they're they're, work, they're they're employees of the company, and and instead you've decided to work with agencies. Most likely, I guess I'm guessing right now. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Right after I'm done, but agencies and outsourcing everything. 
I feel like that is is dangerous, especially when it, when the stakes are so high because of the fact that this is a very let's just say expensive market, and and somehow you're doing this. So I was wondering how what, what's your how do you, how do you how do you do that? Well, I guess the answer is uh, kind of yes and yes. There are some partners that we work with. We work with one of the best healthcare PR firms out there. The, it used to be called the Hughes Report, and it was rebranded a year or so ago. And you could pay me a lot of money, and I couldn't remember what they rebranded to. But it rated PR firms and mentioned who the best ones were. And when we were going through the selection process, a lot of the fit with what we do and with what the firm does you know, had to be there. And, you know, first of all, we had to find a firm that was good with healthcare and that had that as their core business. Mm -hmm. And the last piece of the selection process was the domain expertise debate. So it, it was wonderful to get a couple of our subject matter experts with some of the principals from the firm, and they would just rate their domain expertise company that I worked for earlier in my career had something very similar to that. Uh, they, it was a telecom equipment manufacturer, and they hired salespeople right out of engineering school. Mm -hmm. And they would almost like sending them to grad school on the technologies that, of the products and so on. And the final step was what they called the bunny shoot. Okay. And so they would have all of these technical experts ask these salespeople or salespeople to be all of these questions. And if they got the answers wrong, they didn't have a job or they were reassigned to something else. Wow. The company. So I kind of took that as the template for doing the, the uh, domain expertise final piece of that. So a lot of the vendor selection process involves do they know our business? Do they know our customers? Do they know our audience? And can they help us, in, th in this case, can they help us achieve a share of voice? And the answer is absolutely. They have done a great job for us. There are some other um, areas in which I have used you know, some vendors. Um, I don't like to, to use the term agencies, um, but you know, sometimes there are people who do this kind of stuff for a living that uh, yeah. just need to reach out to. I'm just thinking about how niche you need to be and how probably difficult it would be for a vendor to, at this point, kind of get in and try to become a, for example, a market, because I'm a marketer, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go, that, I'm gonna go down, down that lane, that, down that channel. I'm trying to think how difficult it would be for somebody who's brand new in marketing trying to create a PR firm for, uh, sorry, not brand new in marketing, brand new in the medical field, trying to put the foot in the door kind of, and be able to outdo all these conglomerate specific healthcare marketing vendors out there. I just, I, I, I can't imagine how difficult that would be. And, I, and I'm assuming there's, there, there aren't many out there. There's like maybe two or three that are worth their weight. <laughs> well, I was going to say there are a lot of them out there. Um, I think the selection process, we had about eight or nine firms and then whittled that list down to like a final three or four. And they were 
fairly sizable. Again, we are we are a global company. We have about now about 25,000 employees across five countries, about half a billion dollars in annual revenue. So yeah. we wanted someone that was kind of big enough to be able to support us, but small enough that we wouldn't be a guppy in the ocean. Did you do this through like RFPs? How did how did you approach this? Yeah, RFPs. Can you yeah. explain to to those that don't understand what an RFP is? How that how that process works? <laughs> yeah, the uh, RFP process, and in fact, I'm going through the exact same thing right now for a website design project. And in fact, I used the PR firm RFP as sort of the the uh, kickstart your brain template. Uh, yeah, yeah, template. So the. For the RFP process, again, it's a request for a proposal. The first thing you need to do is describe, you know, what you want them to do. And in, in the first case, it was, you know, PR representation. Really spell out who you are, who your audience is. You know, to paraphrase Don Henley is who do we think we think we are? And you know, make sure that that's very clear and make sure that the reader understands who the audience is, what the deliverables would be expected of them. Because, you know, something like PR representation can cover a lot of things. There are some companies that think that, oh, the PR firm is going to write all of our sales collateral. Well, probably not. That's that's not yeah. what they, you know, you, you typically would hire them for access to journalists, not to write your content Correct. for you. Yeah, yeah. So spell out what you want the firm to do. You know, we're going through that, as I'd mentioned, uh, with a website design project. And, you know, there are so many different kinds of firms out there. You know, somebody that, that just did a website for, you know, a consumer brand may not exactly be able to make the leap into, you know, B2B services world. So you have to kind of look at their experience and, and as you're writing the RFP, think, are they going to get it? Hey, C-Suite and Sour listeners, it's Haley here from Align. I hope you're enjoying this episode. I just wanted to jump in with some exciting news. We have a new limited time promotion for listeners. You can get 10% off your first year of the Align software with the promo code NOTSOUR10. Align is a strategic planning and execution management software designed to help businesses achieve their goals faster. To get started, go to aligntoday.com slash demo and complete the form to book your demo today. Again, the code is not sour10. Now back to the episode. I, I want to touch on, on on branding because I have a few friends that are also in the in the health industry, similar to you, that for them it's surgical equipment, these really cool robotic arms that do things from like you can you can basically do a surgery from from the other side of the world. It's actually really interesting. And I, I talked to him about he's he's a VP marketing there, and I, I talked to him about branding and he's like what, what, what branding <laughs> it, it's it it seems like all these tech companies have the same type of branding is it similar with you as well sorry not the same time but the lack of it's almost like it doesn't matter uh, well i i like to think of branding as what they say about you when you leave the room nice yeah and for a lot of technology companies they sometimes make the mistake of thinking that oh uh, because I am, you know, nose to the grindstone in this stuff that everybody else in the world is. And you know, with technology companies that I've worked for, 
um, if there isn't, you know, they think we're the best known company in the world, but the fact is they're not, you know, name recognition is always a challenge, you know, with us, you know, we have experienced that and we are continuing to experience that, you know, we were part of one entity and then one year ago we were divested we operated under a placeholder name for about nine months and we rebranded to Sigility in September. Interesting. I guess with every type of B2B, especially in, in, in the medical in the medical industry, probably only people that care or know about are the people that are in the industry, correct? Yeah, to to an extent that's true. I mean, we we don't like advertise on the Super Bowl. Um, exactly. What, what's the point? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You know, it, it's funny that I get people asking me all the time, well, they're trying to sell, sell me ads on the Super Bowl or, you know, something like that. So, well, the audience is a whole lot more uh, defined than that. I'm, I'm not, you know, I don't think that's going to really buy us much. Yeah, that, good. It, it touches on, uh, on the next point I wanted to, I wanted to talk. How do you, how do you measure ROI with these kind of things because like I work with large budgets, but large budgets that have analytics behind them and it makes sense. You at the end of the day, the decisions are made, I believe, indoors, right? Like behind closed doors, I guess. If it, it, it's a it's a handshake, it's it, it's a contract, maybe not necessarily written on a piece of paper. But how do you how do you know what you're doing is working? That's a great question, Philip. But with us too, our sales cycle. So from the time of discovery that there is an opportunity to the time the deal closes, that could be 18 months to two years. And we are calling very high up in an organization. In a lot of cases, the CEO needs to sign off on the deal. Um, and these are also multi-year deals that could be several million dollars a year. So they do take a long time to close. So tracking ROI is is very, very challenging. And you know, we recently, well, actually a little more than a year ago, um, stood up an instance of our CRM. And as I am fond of saying, you know, if if the stuff isn't in the CRM, it didn't happen. And there are some people in the organization that use it a little better than others. But yeah, it's, it's for us, and I think for a lot of companies, it's a continual learning experience. One of the smartest marketers I've ever worked with came from an operations background where they measured everything. And, you know, it was, it was incredible to see their marketing operation working because you know the, the head of the head of marketing was an ops person so they they brought that level of rigor that you know truth be told i wish i had i'm far more on the creative side than i am on the you know let's justify this to the cfo yeah it's something that I balance with as well a lot. The issue that everybody has with marketing is that there's a lot of intangibles and a lot of a lot of things you can't measure necessarily. For example, brand awareness. How do you measure that? How many likes you have on Facebook or how many likes you have on Instagram? How many people are following you on, on LinkedIn? Uh, what what is that measurement? Because they could follow you, but are they right the right people? Uh, and you can't really measure third party data yeah. um, well. 
at least not, not, a lot less than, than than other things that you can do when it comes to uh, uh, measuring or analyzing a, a data, and which which kind of it, it's a difficult conversation to have, right? How do you know you doing X is going to make people understand that Sagility in your situation is the right is the right provider for them, right? Yeah, you know, one of the things that I like to look at is share of voice. And, you know, for us, we are competing against companies that are our size or smaller, but a lot of much larger, better funded competitors. And I like to say that we are punching above our weight class in a lot of things like industry analyst reports where they rank vendors or they review vendors and what their offerings are. So there's you know, analyst reports that's a great ver- kind of verification of you know, who we are. And again, back to the, you know, who do we think we think we are? And also share a voice. You know, have we contributed to the thought leadership in the industry? You know, one of our subject matter experts is speaking at a national conference. We don't see any of our competitors speaking at that conference. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And when, when you say, so you're talking about the, the 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 foresters and gardeners out there, correct? Like that, those guys. Yeah. And and so from from what I'm 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 getting from this is, and I'm I'm seeing it a lot. You have the the, the I don't want to say privilege, but you have you have the the fortune of having a fortune. Right, you have you 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 bring in about you know yeah. half a, you mentioned half a billion in revenue right yearly plus minus, and Gartner and Forrester are expensive. I, I <laughs> expensive relatively, right? If I yeah. tell you it's fifty to hundred thousand dollars for a report, yeah. you're probably like, ah, eh, okay. Uh, but if you talk to a smaller business that's making only I don't know five million a year, hundred k is it's starting to get there a little. It's starting to get a little expensive, right? So depending on where you are at and you have to evaluate if, if something like share a voice reporting or getting those reports is worth it for you. If there was something that, uh, you, uh, I like to, you can, you can start looking back a little bit farther into your past, uh, beyond, uh, Sagility. Talk to me about leadership styles that you enjoyed or, or that you felt that you connected with, with your team is there anything that that you you feel that somebody should that's listening to this should hear about uh, when they you know when when they're listening? Is there anything specific you'd like to tell them? Yeah, I love it when a leader says to me, "I don't know what it is you do, or I don't know how you do it, but you do it well." One of the fav- my favorite interactions with a leader was, he said. There's no way I could ever do your job. And that's why we have you here. And he said, because you, what needs to be done? He said, I, I would just kind of sit there and, and say, well, what do I do next? And he said, you just, you do it. You execute. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. And, and, and also trust. You know, I, I think a good leader trusts the people that are within the organization, whether they brought them in or not, that you trust them t- for their competencies and and just let let them let them do what they have to do yeah it's it's incredibly important uh we're seeing this as a as a motif when it comes to uh these these conversations i'm having there is a lot of 
you need to trust and and risk and risk that, right? Uh, you can't always know who you're getting when you're hiring somebody and you need to have a period of time in which you do trust that person and you hope to, you know, whatever godly uh, identity you, uh, you, you believe in is, you know, helping you realize, you know, help, helping you out here. It's an interesting situation when you're bringing in new hires and you just, you, like how many, how many hours do you have conversations do you have when, when hiring? Right. It's not even hours, is it? It's, it's half an yeah. hour to an hour, maybe max. Right. And you know, they, they may have talked to, you know, five, 10 people. So even then the, to the sum total number of hours you've spent maybe four or five, and then you're making a decision on, gosh, do we bring that person in to maybe spend hopefully years with us? It's challenging. Yes. On top of that, there's the the there's, there's a psychological factor in the ideal world. You uh, you you hire fast and fire fast, right? Or, or sorry, you take a while to hire and then fire fast, right? It's, that's that's the ideal world. You have time to hire, and when somebody's on, and if they don't work out, you just you know send them on their way. Say thank you very much for your time, but this isn't working out. But what ends what ends up happening is a lot of people are hiring really 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 quickly because they need somebody immediately right now. And then because they can't, they, because of multiple reasons, some being somebody's doing kind of the work and it's better not have, it's better to have that rather than nothing or, or, or psychologically, they just, it's hard for them to fire somebody right after they hired them because they feel bad about it. We're seeing like the, 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 op, the, like the exact opposite of what needs to be done. Um, <laughs> and I, I, you know, I'm, I'm looking at it as, as, as not necessarily a bad thing. It, it, it shows some kind of something about humanity that isn't as bad as, 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 you know, it's, it's, it's a good thing when it comes to humanity, but not necessarily a good thing when it comes to business. You've hired teams in, in sales, correct? What was your kind of go-to uh, during interviews uh, when you hired? What, what, how, how did you, what, what do you have like a question or two that you always used to ask that, that you felt gave you a, a grasp of who that person was? Um, wow. it's a good question. When I've been hiring people, I, I'm a big believer in hire someone who has strengths much different from you. You know, there's, there's no sense of cloning me, you know, that they just get two of, you know, kind of the same thing. So I always look for somebody who has much different skills than me. So that that's a, a big part of it. And then just to see, and I don't know if there's any magic question that I would ask to see if the person's a fit. I am impressed when a candidate does come to me with some questions where it looks like, okay, they've looked at our website, you know, maybe looked at my LinkedIn profile and they come in and say, well, what about this? You know, why, you know, what worked, what didn't work? Um, you know, just show some investment in it. If, a candidate says at the end of the interview, if I ask them any questions, if they say no, nope, it's like, well, you yeah. kind of wonder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I uh, it's it's a flag for me as well. If somebody, if I say, hey, you have any questions, and somebody doesn't say anything, that's that's a red flag for me, hundred percent. I know people have, you know, life happens and sometimes yeah. you can't get but if you're looking for a job and it's important to you one of the things you need to do whoever's listening out there that might be uh looking uh and also somebody who's listening that is a leader that that hasn't asked that question you know do you have any 
ask the question of asking a question. Um, <laughs> yeah. I strongly suggest asking that question as a leader and being able to answer that question as somebody who is uh, looking for a job, regardless if you have 10 other companies you're interviewing for, you need to understand that the company that you're, you want to be your candidate for only sees you at that moment. And right. very easily, very easily can say you're not the right person because of just yeah. a simple <laughs> thing like, you know, Simple, simple thing like that. So just keep keep that in mind, hundred percent. So if there's one thing that uh, that I, I like asking at the end of uh, of these podcasts is, is there something that uh, you feel that you'd like to tell either your uh, past self from five years ago or anybody else that's listening right now? Then five years from now will probably be in your position. Is there something like this little note or something they can take take take, take with them as an action point or as something like a quote they can keep in their mind? when they are moving forward? Wow. You know, it's, I'm not sure if it's the five years ago self, but certainly something that I would say to my 20 year old self is, you know, pay a lot more attention in your, in the statistics classes to what the professor is teaching you than the girl sitting next to you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Because I, I, I use, you know, statistics, analytics, and modeling and stuff a lot. And that is a little bit contrary to the uh, creative brain. So I wish I had paid a lot more attention to those kinds of classes and paid a lot more attention to more of the mathematical side of the brain. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely feel that one of the things that I always have, uh, my right and left brain are always fighting with each other. I see myself as somebody who is creative, but not creative enough, or analytical, but not analytical enough. Uh, just because I've, I've seen what really creative people can do, and what yeah. really analytical people can do. And I'm not at that, like, I can't, I just, it's just something that it goes over my head sometimes, unfortunately, like, I'm good, you know, I, I uh, yeah. what's, what's the saying? Uh, the trades one. Uh, good enough to be dangerous. Yeah, that, that, I'm definitely good. Yeah, that, that's that's for sure. But uh, uh, master of none or no? Uh, yeah, just Listen, completely, yeah completely, jack of all trades, jack master of, all trades. of none, something like that. Yeah. Yes, 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 yeah. yes. And uh, that's kind of like how I feel. I guess that's probably why I'm at, in the position that I am at, at. I am at because I can speak to everybody in a way that they understand me and I understand them. Although execution wise. I'm I, I'm not at their level because you you need people that have specific uh, abilities that necess- usually yeah. leaders do not have because they have other abilities and, and and unless you're like some kind of I don't think there's anybody out there that that has all the you just can't it's like you can't have you can't be completely analytical and very creative at the same time. The oh yeah. Of you be, yeah. It, 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 you the know, chances of you being that is incredibly low. Unicorn status, especially to be good at it enough to to say that you can do both at, at at the very high level. So yeah, you know, you see these job descriptions, and they'll say you know must have Pulitzer Prize winning journalism skills and award winning graphic design skills, and you know you must have a PhD in mathematics. It's like ah uh, no, what are you really looking for? <laughs> you know? Oh my gosh, yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Okay, so on, on that note, uh, I want to say, Kevin, uh, appreciate your time. This was great. I had fun. 
for all those out there listening, I hope you enjoyed the episode of uh, this episode of Sea Sweet and Sour. If you find anything particularly interesting that you feel your colleagues may enjoy, don't be shy. Sharing is caring. Be sure to stay tuned and sign up for notifications for uh, on your favorite podcast platform or on aligntoday.com slash podcast. We have some really interesting guests coming up, uh, like David Meltzer at David Vessel Enterprise and uh, Rich Armstrong from The Great Game of Business. Kevin, again, thank you very, 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 very much. I appreciate your time. And uh, to everybody out there, uh, let's get shit done. <laughs>